control the lines of communication and you control the populace. It's the first page of the dictator's playbook. Little wonder then that many leaders around the world spend so much time and effort tying the internet in knots. Internet shutdowns have become an imposition of brute power by world leaders, and they have huge ramifications for freedom of expression and human rights. Our guest this episode, Doug Midori of internet infrastructure analyst Kentic, spends his working life tracking how leaders crack down digitally. He's who the Washington Post calls the man who sees the internet as it flickers and fails. And today, he's telling us about the way the internet can be tamed to suppress speech. I'm Chris Stokel-Walker, and for Human Rights Organization Article 19, this is Tectonic. Doug Midori, welcome to Tectonic. Thanks for having me. So you've got a fascinating job because you, you get to see day in, day out, what is happening on the internet. So when an internet shutdown happens, what does it feel like for those on the ground? Does it happen fast or slow? How do you know that it is happening if your country is going through an internet shutdown? Um, For the people who are downstream of these outages and are disconnected, it could be very stressful, especially if it's some sort of a contentious environment uh, where there's a war going or there's a... uh, protests like we saw in Iran last fall. People are trying to make sure they're getting a hold of loved ones to make sure they're okay. I think for those of us who have never had to experience that kind of uh, a situation where you don't know uh, if your loved ones are safe and you've just lost the means of communication, it's a really scary, stressful situation. And people beyond just that trauma, people do get hurt as well. So it's um, it's a non-trivial thing that happens to these people. And how do you experience it? Is it apps going out? Is it kind of not being able to connect to common services? Like how how would the average person first experience this? So I guess there's a range of possibilities going all the way from, let's say the nuclear option is where just all services 100% are inaccessible. Yeah, and so then, you know, you're your phone may or may not connect to the mobile network, but even if it does, it can't go anywhere. And so nothing's reachable. Uh, that's that's one end of the spectrum. Um, we see that with some regularity. The other end of the spectrum are kind of more surgical blocks of particular apps or services uh, are unable to connect. And so there's, a, there's kind of a range of possibilities. There's a range of technical implementations of these that we've seen over the 10 plus years that I've been documenting these. Yeah, there's a there's a variety of ways this can manifest itself. And you've been doing this, as you say, 10 plus years. How did you get into it? Uh, yeah, so I started in this industry in 2009 uh, with a small boutique startup uh, that did internet routing analysis for the telecommunications sector. And so we had a lot of data. We had a lot of data on just how was the internet operating. We were selling products back into the that space. And so uh, it just so happened that we were very well positioned with the data and tools to uh, make technical confirmation of geopolitical events. And, um, you know, it was, it was good for us as a little, little company uh, just to get some PR, to get quoted in the you know, New York Times or whatever. But um, I think many of us in that company also felt an obligation uh, with our 
not just the data, the tools, but also we have a lot of industry connections. You know, we're in with the engineers that are keeping the internet operating, which is um, a very human intensive and human relationship based technology. So anyway, so we were we were well positioned to comment on, you know, the first high water mark of us was the uh, Arab Spring when that kicked off. Either this is the first Arab revolution of the 21st century, or it will be brutally suppressed. When Mohammed Bouazizi set himself on fire 10 years ago, he couldn't have known that his suicide in Tunisia would ignite the entire region. And the shutdown in Egypt in January 2011. By early morning, security forces were setting up across the city and internet and cell phone communication had largely been shut down. This is now standard operating procedure from these governments who know that it is social network that is the principal organizing factor for these demonstrations. What's happening here is really critical. We, as soon as the, the country was shut offline, we had, you know, within minutes, pretty good, a pretty good picture of what parts were still up, uh, what parts went down, what was the timing of it. And so we started just putting graphs and, you know, putting stuff out into the world just to provide uh, just a, an empirical technical confirmation of uh, what was taking place. And, and we should maybe dig into that Arab Spring shutdown, because I think it, it kind of exemplifies in many ways why these internet shutdowns happen. But I'm, I'm fascinated by that because you kind of just casually skipped over and said, we became aware of this stuff. You've been described in the past by the Washington Post as the man who sees the internet. So what is the, the bat signal for Doug Midori? How do you know <laughs> when these internet shutdowns happen? Yeah, I, I when that when they wrote that piece, and I, I was like, that's super flattering. I felt a little over the top. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, that, that's kind of, it's evolved over the years. Uh, we had we have pretty good tools back in those days. I mean, now there's a lot of outfits that are doing this, but in fact, in fact, with the Egypt, um, I remember thinking we didn't really realize, we thought it was important to us, but you know, there's a lot of stuff that comes uh, along that feels really important to us and nobody cares. And, and we're like, all right, well, maybe this is another one that's just the geeks care. Uh, but that was one where everybody this um, struck a chord with everyone just imagining Wow, if I lost access to everything for days on end, that would be how would I, you know, survive? So we knew stuff was happening. We were kind of keeping an eye on Egypt. There was a tip off we had gotten the day before that supposedly uh, people had been given an order to, by the government to, you know, if the order comes down, you need to be able to shut things off like immediately. Uh, so get yourself ready because that could happen. And then that got relayed to us. We were kind of like, hmm, like, well, you know, we see, we would hear stuff like that now and then, but, um, I was like, all right, well, let's keep an eye on it. And then sure enough, it went down, but the software didn't tell us that. And that was my, my lesson learned out of that. I was like, I was like, we have so many tools and so much data, like, like we shouldn't wait for someone to give us a tip. Like we should have our thing, just notice this and, uh, contact us. So I built a little system, uh, that served me well for another 10 years or so. So how does this work? If a, if a dictator or a leader decides I want to shut down the internet, who are they calling? How does it get enacted? Yeah, so there's some sort of communications between a government official and uh, people at the um, telecom operators. So I'll give you a couple, just a couple of examples. So I know that there's been a couple of cases in, for example, in Africa, the government gives you a written order to the mobile provider to defray the criticism they're going to receive when they shut down the service. We'll post this publicly and be like, listen, our hands are tied. This is the order we received. Read it yourself. Uh, we are complying with this, uh, what is a lawful order within that country uh, to shut off service. I guess I've also seen, um, 
I got to know one of the engineers in uh, Syria Telecom. In Syria, they have a lot of shutdowns, and that it was their intelligence service that reached out to the NOC, the ne uh, Network Operations Center, and said, uh, we need a shutdown. Uh, somebody would write, uh, one of the engineers that I knew, would write a script just to pull down all the BGB routes, and that they had no choice but to do that. And then the case in Myanmar, one of the providers I knew, they they received this over fax. Uh, they got a fax order. They had to shut down a service. So there's some sort of communication from the government to uh, the operators. There's already usually some sort of dialogue going along those lines anyway. So you have a relationship between the telecommunications regulatory authority and the telecoms. That is the avenue usually that uh, the orders come down. Or Pakistan, a famous incident that happened in 2008 was uh, Pakistan. There was some... Um, videos that were uh, circulating on uh, YouTube that were deemed you know, anti-Islamic by Islamic scholars in Pakistan. The government decided they needed to block YouTube in Pakistan. Uh, the Pakistani Telecommunication Authority gave an order to PTCL, the State Telecom of Pakistan, to block YouTube. There was an accident in how they did it. They ended up taking down YouTube globally. Uh, so it's usually, there's a regulatory authority that is the voice of the government over the the telecommunication space, um, I would say more times than not, it's, a, it's an order along those uh, along those lines. Mm. And is it, because I guess there are multiple different ways that you can experience a shutdown, as, as you mentioned earlier, in terms of maybe it's your, your phone doesn't connect, maybe it's you can't load up that show that you want to watch on Netflix. Is there a, a kind of early warning tremor system? The, the kind of if this service or this app goes down or, or this thing doesn't connect, we know that there is a kind of deliberate internet shutdown happening somewhere in the world. Huh. I mean, a lot of it is uh, the context these things take place in. Um, yeah, I don't know. So occasionally there's, there'll be an event that affects multiple countries, uh, like a submarine cable cut, and then you can kind of rule out uh, that that there was you know something happening in one country because you know again depending on the configuration uh, it's it's unlikely that the geopolitical events in one country would affect the whole region uh, connectivity wise but um, there's not really a uh, a tip off like you know there's some sort of technical uh, indicator that this is going to happen in the next hour or two not like a maybe like an earthquake or something I mean this is you know, when they give the order it just happens and um, yeah, there's a few other scenarios too that we've documented. So I mentioned like the Egypt-style nuclear option where everything 100% is offline for days on end. And then there's uh, another common uh, mode is to just turn mobile data off. And the, uh, what we theorize is the approach there is that, you know, usually this is in a scenario where you've got strife, you know, protests in the streets, uh, some sort of crackdown, and they're trying to affect, this is the government, and embattled government's trying to limit who they disrupt and um, and they are making a trade-off saying, all right, well, the guy in the street or gal on the street who's protesting, we're happy to cut them off, but everybody who's on fixed line in offices and so that's companies, the government services, those can stay online. And so if they just shut off the mobile internet, then they're going to affect the protesters usually. Uh, so that's a common mode that we see. And from an internet measurement standpoint, it shows up differently in our data and for a while i didn't have a way now i've got a great way to, to see that but um and then that maybe the latest instantiation is this idea of an internet curfew which we'd seen a couple times in the past where uh the internet goes down just at in the early evening to the morning so to the night uh, when uh again this are usually protests going on 
uh, late at night. They want to try to uh, squelch the ability to either get the word out or organize between the protesters. And so they'll shut that service down and bring it back up during the day when workers are in offices. They're trying to, it, it hurts the economy when they shut internet down. It hurts, it disrupts society. And um, so I think they're trying to lower the price is what we're, um, you know, we're saying is uh, if they can lower the, the cost of doing a shutdown, then the concern is that these embattled governments that are doing this would uh, do this more. And um, that may be what we're seeing. And yeah, are you seeing an uptick in this? I imagine that you see outages happening fairly regularly, but are they they're kind of more sustained versions of this happening more frequently? Yeah, I mean, I, because it's such a um, this is a nonlinear kind of uh, event. Like, I it's not going to be you can't apply physics uh, math to it. But um, if only, uh, yeah, um, I, I guess it's uh, it's just not going away. And it's somewhat being normalized. And it does feel like also some of these regimes are learning from each other, like the internet curfew things. Uh, it does seem like that's another growing growing trend. There are not a ton of data points here, but I don't know. I guess I would say that there was a time when this wasn't a big thing. And now it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty regular occurrence. And not only that, it's in the in the face of there is a whole digital rights community that's evolved to try to advocate against this and to fight these kind of things. And uh, that's grown up in this time too. Like organizations that really didn't exist or were very nascent at the beginning are now you know, players in that digital rights advocacy. And um, it's I guess you'd have to say it's kind of mixed results. It's very it's very difficult to advocate. Uh, against an embattled dictator, if if that's the case. And I want to get on to the kind of actions that individuals, NGOs, listeners to our podcast, and maybe some of the organizations that are, are kind of running services on the internet can do to try and fight back against this in time. But it's interesting that you mentioned those kind of three or four examples of internet curfews that we've seen. When did they start? coming into force who was the kind of the first country that said oh we can just temporarily shut this down and when did they do that so i believe that was gabon early morning in gabon's capital libreville and parliament is still burning an angry mob broke into the compound on wednesday night and set the building on fire the aftermath of violent protests following a disputed election I had a couple of contacts in Gabon that were experiencing this. It wasn't getting a lot of coverage. I went and kind of lobbied reporters, a tech press uh, that I knew, and I was like, I know Gabon is not on the radar. This is one of the tough things in the space. You What, what helps is to get attention uh, through the media and some of these uh, developing countries, especially in Africa, just don't have resonance. And, um, uh, but I, I was like, you really should cover this. It seems as a fallout of the protest, the internet has been cut off in Gabon, preventing access to social media. So we got a couple of, we got CNN to get, cover it. So there was a, there was an extended shutdown of multiple days. I don't remember how many days, maybe it was a couple of weeks. And then I, when I came back up, the uh, uh, all but just a tiny bit of the internet was down every night for in many days. And so that was the first time I think we saw and documented internet curfew. What was kind of funny though, was there was just a couple of routes like BGB routes that were up. So just a little bit of the uh, country's internet was online. 
and the uh, president was tweeting out his defense uh, while the rest of the country was down. And nobody could you know, respond. So I guess he had a, uh, a connection that stayed online. But I think that was uh, the first time I think anybody started using that term. But we've had a few since. And so there, there was a couple last year as well. And BGP Roots, what, what is that for listeners who maybe don't know? Yeah, so this is uh, for people not um, fluent in the technology that fuels the internet. Uh, this is a, a protocol uh, that exchanges information between like the telecommunications companies and you know your internet service provider, universities, all the all the entities that exchange internet traffic have to have these connections. And in them, uh, there's, uh, there's this protocol between the routers that are the ones forwarding your, your packets from one place to another. Uh, it's a continuous live conversation going on between all these entities. And there's all these little messages that go back and forth to say, like, as there's little changes uh, of this, you know, the best way to get to this IP address is this. And that's just happening millions of times a second. You can imagine on the internet, it has to be a, a live adaptive system that if somebody changes something, the whole internet reacts uh, within a minute. And it's kind of a, it's an amazing uh, the way that it works. And someone who studies it all the time, I'm still uh, every day uh, fascinated that this works <laughs> yeah. uh, to watch it happen. But um, uh, anyway, so that's uh, that's Border Gateway Protocol, BGP. Mm, yeah. And, and so when Gabon decided to silence those connections, overnight they're not doing this because they don't want folks to watch netflix right what's the the purpose behind cutting off the internet only at those times and what impact does it have on free expression yeah and that in that case i think it was another case of um trying to limit the cost of a shutdown so there were some studies after egypt looking at the economic costs that were pretty dramatic to the country aside from the protests the uh just the inability for companies to operate uh, was there's a huge cost to that. And so I think that's on the mind of, you know, these decision makers making these uh, calls. So if in Gabon, they want to, um, they want to fight the protesters or crack down the protesters, but they also want to not kill their, uh, their economy, then they have to try to limit when they do their outages. And so they're doing it at night when business isn't operating, but the protesters were uh, out in the street burning tires. And um, so then, I think that's the that's the trade-off they're making. There's like a compromise there of between no crackdown and a nuclear option where everything's turned off. And it feels like countries, leaders of countries where maybe this sort of thing is is normalized are getting a taste for this. In late June, I noticed that you had tweeted about kind of student internet shutdowns for exams, which seems completely <laughs> the opposite. But I guess that the fact that that is even on the table as an option speaks to how normalized this has become it seems like yeah i would agree with that it's it's become somewhat normalized and what impact does that have on us uh who's us humanity writ large oh, okay um yeah i guess there's there's a chance your service could be taken away if the right situation presents itself you know, I'm able to talk to people in other parts of the world that experience this, and I know I wouldn't want to if I was in a um, some kind of a dangerous situation and now was unable to communicate. I'd be pretty pretty stressful. So I'm I'm very sympathetic to the folks that um, have to go through this, but um, it's something to be uh, to be careful. I mean, there's a discussion every once in a while of having like kill switch uh, you know legislation, even in the United States. I'm not sure about like the UK, but. Um, 
Uh, it's something that gets floated out that maybe that's a way we can protect ourselves or there's some extenuating circumstances that would uh, justify uh, an extreme action. But anyway, maybe, maybe we're not immune from that kind of a thing here too. Do you worry about that? Because I guess we focus mainly so far on either kind of authoritarian regimes or, or countries that are, are trying to rebuild through pretty significant destruction. And, and it can be very easy for us as listeners to say, well, this is another country's problem, another part of the world's problem. But is there a risk here that this is happening in democracies or will happen in democracies soon. It seems pretty, it seems pretty remote, but I guess I wouldn't rule anything out. Uh, just, uh, I don't know, these days, a lot of norms are broken by our governments. And um, I, I don't know how far these things could get pushed, but um, I, I, th I think up until a few years ago, you know, in the U S uh, we, we only realized that we don't actually have rules against things the president can do or not do uh, that. It was just all convention. It was all just, everybody was, uh, just a gentleman and they're just going to, you know, play along. And now, now they're not. And it turns out there actually wasn't any rule. It was just a convention that we're, and so I don't know how much that, um, you know, what would be the scenario that would um, trigger something, but I don't know, I guess another angle to this too mm. is, uh, you know, when back in the Renaissance days, my, the, one of the founders, Jim Cowie had written up a, a thing uh, they got a lot of attention of just, you know, from a technical standpoint, how easy would it be to shut this internet off in, any country in the world. We could just do a, we did a little back of the uh, envelope, quick analysis of countries that just go through like one provider uh, to one, one telecom to reach the outside world, whether it just be one place to turn it off. And the supposition was that, well, if you had lots of international connections, uh, you ought to be more resistant. And if we can just build around this, maybe it's just a purely a technical thing that if you made so many connections out, uh, there'd be no way the government could uh, shut the uh, service down. And um, I think we've, We've had enough examples of that in recent years that that doesn't help at all. It really doesn't. Uh, so like um, the, the example, I think, that really put that to bed in my mind was in Myanmar. As the protests swelled, witnesses reported a shutdown of mobile data services and Wi-Fi. Earlier, the military ordered mobile operators and Internet providers to block access to Twitter and Instagram. A temporary ban had already been put on Facebook which counts half of the country's 54 million population as users. Before the shutdown, hashtag SaveMima and hashtag RespectOurVotes were trending. And many there was a shutdown there where they had, uh, at that point, multiple connections out through uh, in the north in China, Thailand uh, to the east, and then they've got multiple submarine cables now. Um, and, uh, and so the way they would do it, they wouldn't bother trying to cut off all these different international uh, gateways, all these international links. Uh, they could just send an order uh, to the telecoms and be like, just for you uh, to shut off service. Uh, and then one provider I know fairly well, they received it over fax, which is kind of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's kind of interesting. But um, uh, they got their order over fax to shut off service uh, by this time. So that means as long as the that a sovereign government has got its authority over the uh, the telecommunications sector, it can just order something to happen. And these private companies just don't have a lot of, they've got a lot of money invested. They, they can't lose the right to operate. So they have to follow the government's orders. And it ends up being, an, there's not a technical solution in my mind to this. The government can just make an order and they have to follow it or lose all their assets. And we saw, I suppose, an example of 
this in terms of a democracy which asked a private company to step in with Twitter in India. Uh, it manifested in ways such as we will shut Twitter down in India, which is a very large market for us. Uh, we will raid the homes of your employees, which they did. We will shut down your offices if you don't follow suit. And this is India, a democratic country. Um, Shutting off essentially access to Twitter for users, and, and that happens quite commonly. Yeah, in, India has a lot of very localized outages, and there's a, I forget their name, but there's an NGO that's just dedicated to documenting just those. Uh, they're they're all over student exams, they're over protests, they're actually pretty quick uh, to to shut service off. They end up not registering so much on our data because I mean, we're usually looking at India as a national level or looking at the national operators. So we're looking at really big scale stuff. Uh, it's probably in there and I just uh, would have to really dig to go find uh, the evidence of the these outages. I don't, I believe everything they're saying is true, um, but um, India is an environment where they are very quick to have localized outages. For a fifth year in a row, India, the said mother of democracy, topped the list of countries that shut down the internet in 2022. And I don't know, there's a lot of people that support them. I had a, f a friend who's in the internet industry in India uh, sent me a mes message trying to explain why this is a justified action. Uh, What's their argument? Uh, that it's for public safety um, and that what are they to do? You have people destroying stuff, hurting people, rioting in the streets. If you can, you need to do everything you can. If you shut off their communications, they're unable to, or, you know, it's a different view of these protests. I think we, mm. we typically uh, default to a sympathetic view to a lot of this stuff. If you were to take uh, another <laughs> perspective, um, you, you may not be as sympathetic and uh, it, his view is not as sympathetic. Uh, and it's like, how do we maintain order in a pretty chaotic place? Well, if this helps, uh, then that's a small price to pay. The service will be back once it's, things have settled down. But um, I, I just listened, you know, like I, I, I'm not there. Uh, I'm not in these environments. I'm interested in, that's a perspective that I think uh, I don't hear very much, but um, clearly there are people who t uh, take that opinion. So I appreciate that he would reach out and, you know, try to explain from his perspective why this is, these are justified actions. But yeah, so even folks in, in our industry, I guess there's people who would, would say this is, this is an okay thing to do. Mm, clearly people who, who have that opinion and, and clearly this is going to be a problem that doesn't go away. So how do individuals, organizations, NGOs work together to try and subvert and get around this stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know what the solution is. I, I know. So again, we have uh, NGOs like Access Now. They do a lot of advocacy work. Uh, they try to they file lawsuits. They advocate at the UN. They do a lot of work. Uh, like to sometimes it's about shaming a, a, a government or company that's uh, complied with an order. But um, there are not a lot of uh, examples. I know they have a few, but there, are, um, there aren't a ton of examples. Of success, it's it's very hard to be effective at pushing back at this uh, stuff because uh, at at the end of the day, you have each country. We we live in a Westphalian world, and each country has a has a sovereign government that that sovereignty is more or less absolute. And um, if they choose to do something that we all think is bad, it's very hard for us to get them to not do that bad thing. And uh, if it's shut down the internet, we don't. There is no way we can order them to not do that. And I guess the one, one thing that's been we should address is Starlink. 
T-minus five, four, three, two, one, ignition, and liftoff. Go Starlink, open up. And I've been facing this for long before Starlink was a thing. I would get questions like, why, why doesn't Google or Facebook just fly a balloon over or just fly something over the country that's uh, just beam internet down and reconnect the country. And, uh, and so just you know, the, from a legal standpoint, you kind of can't do that. So in a, in a country, again, you have a sovereign government, they have a telecommunications regulator, they issue licenses to operate. Uh, you and I can't just go into a country, set up a telecom and start providing service. We have to have a license from the government to do that pretty much I don't know of a place that doesn't operate like that. It's pretty universal. If anything, just to collect the fees because they charge a lot for this. Hmm. And so you have to have a license to operate. That goes for both a fixed line uh, operator, something that's on the ground, or also a satellite operator has to do the same thing. The satellite operators may have global coverage. They can see every square inch of the internet, let's say, uh, but they still have to go country by country or or, to get authorization to provide service. And if they don't, they're supposed to blackout service in that country based on you know when the satellite flies over they won't, won't uh, accept any connections uh there's some debate as to you know how well that's either enforced or um implemented uh, those those blacked out countries but if you were to go to a website of a satellite internet service operator they'll usually have a map of where they're authorized to operate and countries in black they can't uh, do this so if a country goes offline you know whether it's starlink or before starlink existed it was like Facebook, Google balloons or Facebook, something else. Um, you can't just go in and be like, I'm now the, the internet service provider for the country. Like that's your, it's a, it's an illegal thing uh, to do that. You don't have a, you don't have a, a license to operate. Now, I guess what I was thinking more recently, especially with um, uh, given the owner of, of Starlink and SpaceX is, uh, you know, if a country, let's say every time there's a shutdown, you'll see tweets of be like, Elon, come save country, hmm. this country. And, um, and so I thought, you know, especially with Myanmar, when there was a shutdown, there was a lot of, you know, I think maybe even uh, Elon Musk tweeted something about it, like, well, we should have Starlink uh, reconnect everybody. Uh, there's obviously a couple of obstacles. They have to have equipment on the ground. You can't, you can't just use your phone now to connect uh, to Starlink. You know, there's, there's a ground terminal you would have to have. Uh, sometimes it's depending on the country, it may be illegal to import that into the country. But let's just say you had it. And somehow, some of these people smuggled it in. Uh, this they turn the service on in the country, and uh, and so now it, they're taking a, a an action that would be deemed illegal in um, uh, by the um, international telecom laws. Now, if the country, uh, I would like to see that would be that would be something pretty amazing. If let's say Myanmar, the military junta running Myanmar, having a shutdown, wants to force Starlink to stop providing service. This is all hypothetical, and this mm. took place. I, if I were Elon or a person like that, uh, I'd be like, I would welcome that that lawsuit because you're going to make that person a hero. Like in the in the world of public opinion, uh, they're winning, uh, even if the, the law doesn't support them. So I wonder if uh, how much they would uh, pursue that to go to arbitration uh, to get someone to turn off the service. Um, I don't know. I would uh, if if I were him. You know, give, again, giving his personality and his he's kind of a, a, a brash thing. I think he would love to be seen as a savior. Go ahead, turn it on and take me to court and I would happily have this uh, fight. But there's some obstacles there. A a company, especially one that's publicly traded, is not typically going to try to flout uh, international law, especially laws that they also in other jurisdictions are probably depending on them uh, working in their favor. So...
in Cuba, uh, so this is this is something that U.S. politics. Obviously, Cuba is a is more of a U.S. Uh, political topic. Uh, but in July 2021, there was a shutdown. There was protests, like the biggest protests in decades in Cuba against the government. There, they had a sh- shutdown. We documented it, well, as as did others. July 11th, there were occasions when the government cut off the internet for the people there. I'm just trying to understand why the government would do something like that. Well, on that, I should say that there wasn't any shutdown of internet services uh, as a whole. There was indeed some, um, you know, from time to time problems with uh, certain services of internet in Cuba, but there hasn't been any- And so the right wing in the United States was like, we have to turn the internet back on. We're gonna fly balloons and just beam internet down. And um, actually one of the the guys on the FCC, he still still pushes this. and I got an interview for a few stories about this. I'm like, well, how would that work? And I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, 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 like maybe, maybe like, uh, and, and so then uh, what the example they were giving was um, the Google Halo, like the balloon-based high-altitude uh, internet service. They, they had worked in Puerto Rico when service was down there. They worked in East Africa. Uh, and it was, it was successful to be like, they see towers floating in the uh, high-altitude they could beam, you know, uh, mobile internet to people on the ground. This could work, uh, but in those cases, the telecom operator and Google were working hand in glove, uh, trying to, you know, collaborate and make and turn the service back on. In Cuba, you'd be it'd be an adversarial environment, uh, which has never, to my non- knowledge, it's never occurred that another country came in and turned the service back on over the objection of the the domestic uh, government. And so I was like, how is this, how, how do you do this? Like if your phone, uh, you know, they, they say, oh, this is uh, this is going to be mobile service from these balloons. Like, all right, maybe, but then, you know, we all know how does a phone get on a, a particular mobile provider? Well, there's a little chip and you got to register onto the network. How do they, so the, the Cubans are going to have chips? Like how are they getting the chips to get on this new service we're putting in? Like, are we having SEAL Team 6, you know, swim ashore and start handing out chips? Like maybe, I don't know. I don't know what, but that would be required you have to get something into the country in order to make this happen. Uh, that part never goes explained, uh, but um, so uh, it's it comes up every outage, uh, and usually it's Starlink these days because that's something it's so famous uh, that. But you know, satellite internet's been in existence for a very long time, maybe 30, 40 years, uh, long before Starlink was around. And so the 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 issues that Starlink would face to turn service on. Uh, are essentially the same as what the um, the other satellite operators uh, or balloon operator, whatever uh, technology, they all face similar. There's logistical issues and then there's some technical issues of having equipment on the ground. Uh, so for example, if you guys are familiar with it, there's a man named Alan Gross who was imprisoned for a long time in Cuba. He's an American. Uh, and so he was imprisoned for smuggling satellite communications into Cuba. It is illegal to do so, to bring any unauthorized telecommunications equipment into the country. Uh, this was to create uh, independent connections out uh, for people uh, opposing the government. And he served many years in prison for doing so. Uh, that is like, you would encounter something similar in other countries. I think they would not just allow you to bring Starlink terminals. If, you, if, if I was to bring Starlink terminals into Cuba, I would probably be imprisoned uh, as would anyone else. That is a, a violation of the law because they want to control uh, you know, how the connections come in and out. Exactly. But there are beyond the kind of big, bold, brash decisions like that, more simple, fundamental things that 
we can do to kind of get around these shutdowns, right? I mean, what would you know our listeners who maybe are you know in contact with people who face internet shutdowns? How can they kind of direct people to to VPNs or to to toll bridges? And and what are the options out there? And, and what exactly do they do? Yeah, going back to the spectrum of disruption uh, at the beginning. You know, if it's a nuclear option, they turned everything off, you really don't have anything unless you've got a satellite phone or, or I guess I guess if the phones are up, you might be able to make a call, uh, a modem connection over a phone line or something. But um, if those are down too, you may not have any options. Uh, the other end of that spectrum where there's surgical services that are getting blocked, that's when a, a VPN can be helpful. Um, uh, sometimes VPNs are blocked. You know, Tor is another option to try to get your traffic out. Um, and really briefly, VPNs and Tors are, are what? Yeah, so VPNs is a virtual private network. And so you're you're making a, a connection that's just going to look like an encrypted link uh, out. Uh, the service provider that's carrying that traffic can't see what traffic you're sending. And then it, it exits out onto the internet somewhere else. Uh, and so uh, then after that, then someone could maybe see it or block it but if you let's say you can't reach you're in, you're sitting in china you want to go to facebook it's 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 blocked by the great firewall if you can set up a vpn connection out to the united states uh it's basically a little tunnel uh that your internet traffic all is going to go down go to this server in the united states and then get on the internet in the united states it'll look like it's from the united states you can connect to facebook whatever it'll come back there's a there's a latency penalty uh that it's going to feel a little sluggish um Tor is another uh, option where you are you're sending your traffic into a um, call it an onion router where you're there's all these nodes that have agreed that they will uh, uh, around the internet like thousands of them they will your packets will get randomly sent to different uh, nodes and then sent out uh, onto the internet and so it'd be very hard to track back you know where you're coming from is the objective and and so it's another technology that that people use to evade made more censorship stuff but if the service is offline um you may have fewer options i would say that in in iran last fall we were seeing an internet curfew of mobile service mm-hmm. and from our side from kentic's view we track traffic volumes and we could see an increase a decided increase in the fixed line um uh, connectivity the traffic going to fixed line providers when the mobile were offline suggesting some cut some people in order to continue to communicate would find a, a fixed line uh, connection do their communications while the mobile services are out when the mobile services come back up and they go back uh, and so you know if you're taking mobile service down then you may be able to uh, connect via fixed line yeah and I guess as, as kind of a last question then is there is that kind of the message if the mobile connection is down do the fixed line if there's this broad shutdown try vpn is there a way of kind of making sure that we always fight against this um i think a lot of people have have thought about this and what are the possible things you can do again if you have some service if you have just some connection to the outside world there's a there's a hope that there's there's probably a technology siphon is another uh technology we haven't mentioned here but this is another way to um like a vpn kind of uh a service that it gets popular it's very hard to block it's designed in order to try to evade all the mechanisms to block vpns so that if you have any kind of connection left then uh, you have a hope that you could use one of those services to get out and be un- have an unfiltered connection to the internet 
And so I think I theorized over the course of, you know, I've asked, been asked over the years, like, what's the trend that I see? Uh, and we used to see like these big, you know, Egypt style shutdowns, everything goes down. There's a lot of damage to the economy society that happens. And then they started, you know, being more surgical. But if they're surgical, that means people can use technology to get around it. And there was a lot of innovation. There's been a lot of innovation that's been done in the last 12 years around um, censorship circumvention tools. And that I think may uh, actually force the hand of the embattled government back to uh, a shutdown of everything because if they leave anything up, then if there's people who are savvy and people have gotten a lot more savvy Hmm. about these things over this time, people, I think it's a lot more common that someone knows what a VPN is, even if they just want to watch EPL in, you know, some other, some other country, people know what VPNs are. A lot of people have them on their phones a lot more than they used to. Uh, So the, the lay person has gotten a lot more sophisticated and that means that the government then has to be more severe in their actions to uh, sort of more services or all services. I, I've theorized that that may be in a, in a weird way, actually pushing the hand of the government to be more severe. Hmm. It's an interesting future in which we have to live. Yes. Doug Midori, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to Tectonic, a new podcast from Article 19. We hope you'll join us for future episodes, which will release every fortnight and look at the wide variety of ways that the seismic shifts we're currently seeing in technology can affect our freedom of expression. I'm Chris Stokel-Walker. Your producers this episode were Christopher Hooten and Nicola Kelly, with theme music and original score by Julian Wharton. If you would like to leave us a star rating or review wherever you're listening, that would be hugely appreciated. It really makes a difference to our show. Thank you, and see you next time.